KRCL, Salt Lake City. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders, punk rock farmers and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for tuning in tonight to plug into your community. Coming up on the show, Dr. David Derizotis of Peace and Conflict Studies at the University of Utah. I had a chance to speak with him recently, and he's got something coming up where he wants to help folks who are watching Ukraine and don't know what to do about it. He offers some great tips later this hour in a pre-recorded conversation with me about all of that. So stick around. You'll find out how you can sign up to do that with him in a community conversation on Zoom later in the week. Bill Tippett's will be here from Crossroads Urban Center, where he is the director of their Coalition of Religious Communities. I want to find out after the legislative session what we're going to do about eliminating the sales tax on food, what we're going to do about affordable housing and other issues related to generational poverty in our community. But we're going to start out the show tonight with two women who are here to share their stories. They're members of the Utah Ukrainian Association, and there was another rally over the weekend at the Capitol. There's more events coming up and ways for you to do something locally. You see what's happening globally. You, you see what's happening overseas, but there are things you can do to help here, and they're going to share it with us. In fact, Let's welcome them to the program now. Joining me from the Utah Ukrainian Association, we have Miroslava Rudnik. Hi, Miroslava, how are you? Good, thank you. Let me get the mics where they need to be. And we also have Sophia. Hi, Sophia, how are you? Hi, I'm okay, as can be. <laughs> thank you both for coming in. I reached out and said, send me some more people. We had Anya Buse on recently, and uh, we just want to keep passing the microphone and amplifying uh, your stories, but also how folks can help in the community. So Miroslava, you've been in Utah since 2010, came here to study at the University of Utah. Classic story, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm from Ukraine, from Kiev, and my husband is from uh, Western Ukraine, and both of our families are like still out there. Um, they've been here for, like, what, 12 years now. Um, my story probably as many people right now millions of people right now is uh, hard hard to talk about um yeah uh it, the war that broke broke out um in ukraine is uh, devastating and our families and friends and uh relative extended family members are all um suffering right now they are hiding from bombs and rockets and a lot of people have died already so it's it's been uh, last two weeks it's been really devastating um have you been in touch stayed in touch with your family absolutely we basically ev every day what we do is just call our family just to see if they are still alive uh in fact my uh, stepfather and my brother-in-law he's they are actively fighting right now and receiving messages from them that means that they are still alive that's that's been last two weeks that's been crucial i'm guessing to your sense of I don't want to say well-being, but knowing what's going on, being able to still stay in touch with them. Well, no, knowing that they are still alive. Yes. Um, that's that's the most important, um, like, yeah. just seeing that they are, yeah. Still alive. Sophia, how are you? Um, I'm okay. A little bit shaking from what happened earlier today. Uh, I'm from eastern Ukraine. And technically, it's not Ukraine anymore. It's the breakaway territory, the independent republic, as they proclaim themselves uh, a few years ago. And my family is still there. Unfortunately, they're stuck 
um, because for for multiple reasons. My grandma is uh, older and she has a hard time moving physically, so my mom can't leave her behind. And also because they're not part of Ukraine, uh, they they have they don't have a way to escape right now. It's um, um, it's it's pretty hard. And today I woke up to the news of uh, the city of Donetsk that's about an hour away from where my mom is. Uh, uh, they got debris of a shot down rocket and close to 30 people died. So um, it's, it's, it's really devastating. And the thing is, it's, it's not the end yet. No one knows how it's going to end. Um, I'm sure you hear experts' opinions that it can turn into World War III where it's estimated that 30, peop- 30 million people might die if, if it gets there. Uh, that's why we're demanding to close the sky now um, before it turns into that, because um, Putin's ambitions are never ending, it seems like. All right, so close the sky, which is a no-fly zone, and uh, many reasons that the Biden administration says that's not possible. What is it that you want folks to know, Miroslava and Sofia? about this request and why it's so crucial? Yeah, well, well, it is crucial because, uh, well, back in 1984, um, Ukraine gave up um, nuclear weapons, and it has the largest, like, one of, like, third largest uh, arsenal of nuclear weapons, uh, and they gave it up in in return, like, being promised by United States and uh, UK uh, that well, they and Russia too, right? And yeah. Russia, yes. Uh, Putin promised. To, to prom- like Russia promised not never attack Ukraine, and UK and the United States promised to pr- protect, aid, and support Ukraine if that will ever happens. And uh, in 2009, that uh, memorandum has been re- like not renewed, but uh, that memorandum has been uh, everybody reassured that it is still standing and it is still uh, this promise is is standing uh, for Ukraine and and now when we demand to close the sky basically those promises are not being kept not by Russia obviously and not by uh, international communities international yeah well that memorandum was broken back in 2014 when Putin annexed Crimea and invaded the eastern territories the breakaway territories again where my family still resides unfortunately um so it's not it's not new uh, i know to most of the world it feels like it just started two weeks ago but it it actually started in 2014 and there were precursors of what's what's to come back then it has to be recognized and it's it's really a tragedy and i know I, and and it, it's it's seen and appreciated what the world is doing for ukraine but it just doesn't feel like it's enough uh sanctions don't seem to be stopping the kremlin and even though russia is technically back in 1980s maybe not today but in a few months it will be there for for a while it doesn't save lives uh right now again today i woke up to the horrible news of 30 people dying i don't know if if that rocket is going to be shot down tomorrow over where my mom is and i don't i don't really know if i'll ever see my mom again and i'm i'm not the only one there's millions of ukrainians who feel the same way and something needs to be done like the mayor of kiev uh and and our president the president of ukraine says every day something needs to be done today not tomorrow right now 
uh, something that 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 will stop the Kremlin. Um, all right, folks, you need to know something about Sophia, and that was that she didn't plan on talking tonight. And by the time she came down here with Miroslava, she's like, let me on. I just said no swearing. But if it's in Russian, I won't know. So Miroslava, the Utah-Ukrainian Association, has quite a few ways folks can get involved locally and, and help. There's a Voices for Ukraine concert coming up on March 21st, a week from tonight, at the Cathedral of the Madeline. There'll be local Ukrainian speakers like yourselves, singers and musicians, proceeds uh, will go to the Ukrainian war humanitarian efforts. There's also a call on your Facebook page to perhaps even host somebody. What are you hearing about folks who are, at last count, more than two million people fleeing Ukraine and trying to get out? And hopefully some of them will make it to the U.S. Well, that's that's another topic. There is uh, my my family, my my mother and my sister and my nephew. They were lucky once, and they were able to escape Kiev uh, on the first day after like bombing started. And it's been uh, since it's been like yeah, two weeks since they are basically roaming in Europe. Uh, they've been to um, they spent a couple days in uh, Slovakia. Then they went to uh, right now in Poland and now today they are in Prague so basically they just traveling all over just to find like shelters for a couple of days and uh, there is no permanent place for them and the thing is that I I could have them here so my mom she has visa she could she can easily come but my sister doesn't have visa and there is no way um, currently United States just very like they they can apply for a visa right now but it's really like by looking at how many people are actually getting visas m most of them are getting denied and we, we just it's it's it just um there is a lot of ukrainians what what united states could also do is help those ukrainians that are that were able to escape ukraine and right now sheltering in um, in you know in random places mm. You have uh, this form available we, for people we, to fill yeah, out. We, we, uh, we, yeah, we could, we could sh help them here. We could support our families here, but we, we just need to have some kind of uh, support from United States. Give them, um, type like not just a visitor visa. They need to have a passage to come to United yeah. States. This form. We'll put a link in the show notes tonight with all these ideas, but including this form in particular because, as you said in your post, uh, folks who uh, signal their willingness to host someone. Doing so not only opens up op opportunities for refugees to come to the U.S., but increases the chances for U.S. borders to open up to these refugees and alleviate the burden in Europe, reunite Ukrainians with their family members here in America, like you were just talking about. Yes. Your own family and Sophia, I'm guessing yours too. If you could get them here to Utah, that's what you would like. One other thought, like you said, I wasn't prepared to talk, but one other thought that I just had, I was listening to uh, someone today and everyone keeps asking what can be done to mm -hmm. stop this, right? So one thought that someone had is uh, about sanctions because what the Kremlin propaganda tells the Russians is the West is an enemy, has always been, and sanctions would have been there no matter what, whether, the U whether Ukraine is attacked or not, which is not true. Sanctions hurt, uh, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a two-way street. Sanctions never hurt just the recipient of the sanctions, right? So mm -hmm. what this expert was saying is if the West sent a clear message to Russia, to the Russian people, that if somehow, if they overthrow Putin, if Putin's gone, sanctions will be gone overnight, 
well, that might be an ex- uh, exaggeration. Uh, an exaggeration. I don't know if they can be gone overnight, but it's not sanctioning the Russian population. Uh, they're just the collateral here. It's sanctioning the Kremlin regime. So if that could be done, maybe Russians would wake up to it and realize uh, that they're suffering uh, because of one person, two people, three people maximum. So maybe maybe that's the solution to it. Yeah. Uh, just one of the things that I heard today. All right, so let's tell folks how they can get in touch with the Utah Ukrainian Association, Miroslava. Uh, yeah, so there is a face- Facebook sp- Facebook page, and um, yeah, I can share links with you. And um, it basically, Ukraine. If you just Google Ukrainian Association, um, um, UtahUkrainians.org, I think is the website. Yes, UtahUkrainians.org. Yes, thank you. And we will put it in the show notes. Thank mm-hmm. you for coming down. Our mics are open to you and your fellow Ukrainians here in Utah. We'd love to have you back regularly to to share what you're going through and how we can help. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you Appreciate for it, Miroslava and Sophia. Thank you for giving us the voice. Absolutely. When we come back, Bill Tibbetts Crossroads Urban Center. Everyone plays a role in suicide prevention. Call 1-800-273-8255. Talk for 24-7 free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones, and best practices for professionals. Are your jet skiing days in the past? Do you have a boat that won't float? A scooter that quit scooting? How about a car or truck that just won't go? Our friends over at Cars, Inc. can turn your unwanted modes of transportation into a tax-deductible donation. No fees, no hassle, and you get to help power your community radio station. Visit the support tab at krcl.org for details on donating. KRCL, your community connection since 1979. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. And coming up tonight at 7 o'clock, it is Democracy Now!, followed by Red, White, and Blues with Brian Kelm, Michelle's Night Train at 10.30, and John Florence. He starts a brand new day at 6 a.m. You can hear the last two weeks of any show on demand at krcl.org. Just click on the Programs tab. All right, still to come, Dr. David Derizotis on watching what's going on in Ukraine and how to process our feelings and maybe deal with what we're witnessing. And then, of course, we just gave you some great ideas for getting involved locally and helping out. And that's also what we're going to do in this next conversation. Bill Tibbetts is here from Crossroads Urban Center, Coalition of Religious Communities Director. Hi, how you doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me to come in today. Always in our new studios. Welcome. I, Thank you. Great. <laughs> Beautiful, the beautiful new studio. Beautiful new studio, thanks to listeners and so much volunteer hours getting them built. Uh, I wanted to talk about the legislative session, and on April 13th, you're going to be doing a Zoom session with options for eliminating the sales tax on food because it didn't happen, folks. It got caught up in all the machinations of lawmakers and this trade-off and that ask. So let's go there. What happened? What's your estimation of why they couldn't do it when we seemed flush with cash otherwise? Well, I mean, the biggest reason was that they wanted to do a different tax cut. They wanted to do a big income tax cut, and and uh, once they had done that, they they really couldn't get rid of the sales tax on food without doing things to offset the the cost to the to the budget. Um, and so uh, we sort of knew that it was over when the, when they passed that uh, big income tax cut at the beginning of the session. Uh, and let's explain the, the different ways that you could have done that because uh, there was a push to do more of a rebate, but this is for people who don't 
make enough money necessarily that they file the taxes. It wouldn't mean anything ultimately to do it that way versus just eliminating it altogether. Yeah, no, I, I think um, the the idea of doing a credit, the, uh, the states that have done it, it hasn't worked. It's not, um, it, there are, would be at least 25% of the people who would be eligible for it who wouldn't, um, would not get it if you did a rebate. Then, and then you also have people with, uh, with an immigration status where they don't file taxes who, who wouldn't get the rebate. And so I, I think, um, you know, it, it's clearly just better to, to get rid of, to not tax food in the first place, which is what the vast majority of states mm -hmm. do. And again, the same population that would not avail themselves for whatever reason of a rebate are, is the same population that's not in contact with their lawmakers and making their wishes known either, I'm guessing. Um, you know, I actually think this is one of those issues where most of the feedback legislators got was in support of eliminating the sales tax on food. I had the Speaker of the House yeah. released a poll saying that the most popular tax cut idea with Utah <laughs> voters was eliminating the sales tax on food. Yeah. Um, it was only 1% higher than the percentage who liked an income tax cut. So, mm. I mean, it was thir so 33% said their, favor their, their top idea for cutting taxes was eliminating the sales tax on food. 32% said uh, income tax cut, and then everything else was, was lower. So yeah. those were the – so they, they went with number two instead of number one. You know me. I want to drop the hammer on them. I know you're not going to. You're a very kind man. But I just am so frustrated with them. So where do we go from here? How do we get the sales tax on food eliminated? When we're talking about progressive versus regressive tax, right. the sales tax on food is regressive. The less you make, the more you pay for food. Yeah. No, it, it, the more – the more it costs to pay for basic necessities, base is when it costs more to pay for basic necessities, that's always going to impact low-income people more because that uh, with food, it's something I think uh, it's interesting. Uh, the There's some data showing that food makes up like 40% of the budget for fa low-income families and that uh, for, for more wealthy families, it, it's more like 6%. And so you, uh, and then of course, you know, for the super rich, I mean, they can't spend enough money on food yeah. for it to be a, to be for it to compare. Uh, so I, I think it is taxing food is about as regressive as you can get. All right. So what's going to happen on the thirteenth with this Zoom session, and and how can people get involved? Because what I saw was your your call for three basic issues that have to deal with poverty, food security being being one of them, and you have a call for folks to join, and let's get to work again. Yeah, no, we, we, um, it's, I've been, I started working at Crossroads Urban Center in 2001, and one thing I have realized is that the sooner you start working uh, for the next year, the, the better the results you'll get, and so I think uh, there really isn't time to sit back and wait for uh, the, the, the next session to come, the, or to wait for the next uh city or county budget session to come you need this you need to talk to the your elected officials sooner rather than later so you've got some committees folks can get on and participate absolutely yeah no I, we uh with sales tax on food we need to talk to people in the senate because there was rigid opposition in, in the senate in the house you had two bills to eliminate the sales tax on food one sponsored by a republican one sponsored by a democrat i think a bill eliminating the sales tax on food passed in that body in 2018. A lot of those people are still there. 
the opposition really is in the Senate. And so what we're going to do is put together a document talking about all the different ways that you could approach this, you know, and, and so, th so that we can reach, because there's more than one way to, to eliminate the sales tax on food and re make the food, the tax code less regressive. Um, and so we're going to put something together about that um, and try to meet with as many senators as we can during the summer and fall to see uh, what their objections are, see who's willing to look at different options, yeah. um, how much of the, because I think um, it's, you know, I mean, it, the legislative session is really not the good time to have conversations with people because yeah, they're hearing about hundreds of, pill, yeah. hundreds of bills, talking about a $25 billion budget. They have so many people who are selling them something and it's really hard to get through and, and get their attention in a way that they remember. And we have a balanced budget amendment process, right? So that's got to be paid for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Utah has 29 counties. We need a 29-county strategy. So it's one thing to join a committee and go lobby a bunch of different senators, but it's even more powerful if it's coming from someone in that county approaching their senator. Absolutely. And uh, But it's also good to remember that there was a time when you really had to have a 29 county strategy because each of the state senate districts was actually each county had its own state senator yeah and uh that was found to violate the constitution <laughs> of one person one vote so uh no i mean so, so yeah. we uh redistricting we, and all we, that. we we have 80 percent of the people in the state live in the wasatch front mm -hmm. and so uh 80% of the senators represent at least part of the Wasatch Front. It's, it, we, we, it's, that's a four-county area. It's not, it's not 29. No. So we have a call here, folks, to be a grassroots activist, to be a community builder, and you can still be a DIY creative and a punk rock farmer and get engaged. Uh, what's the website where folks can uh, reach out and get involved? It's uh, www.crossroadsurbancenter.org. Uh, for this stuff, it's probably, we have an email that you can sign up email list on hunger and homelessness issues that you can sign up for on our main page but uh, you can get information about this advocacy work by www.crossroadsurbancenter.org backslash cork cork c-o-r-c coalition of religious communities and i remember it was not quite uh, not quite a year out from the ask with the american recovery act money to put millions toward affordable housing and i wanted to spend some time with you on that subject since there was some but not as much as was asked for what was it 55 million am i remembering that right there was 55 million put toward housing specifically geared toward reducing homelessness um the governor had actually asked for 127 million dollars i will say that for me i was very pleased when the governor asked for that much because every year before now the governor has either asked for nothing or asked for 10 million and we're lucky if we get two and so to have a governor uh ask for funding at a level that actually relates to what can be done in a year in the state um that would have if we'd gotten all that money uh the, the state, the governor's point person on homelessness, Wayne Niederhauser, the former president of the Senate, says, has, has talked about possibly creating housing for 700 people who are currently either at a shelter or sleeping outside. That would, be tra that would have been transformational. Um, but, I mean, there's, there's 55 million is still enough to make a, a, an impact. And so I think with that issue, 
uh, we need what we need to do is to make sure the money is actually put into use uh, and that we document the success and, and, and so that uh, because I think what we as a state what we know and we sometimes and we don't but we don't always say people like me know that we don't always say is that we actually know like the solution to, to homelessness really is housing we yeah. have this isn't a theory this is we've there's been a lot of different approaches for dealing with homelessness in this country. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about people who are homeless for more than a year, people with uh, serious mental illness issues, people with, uh, with what the people we call chronically homeless, um, and it, the, the truth is, is that if we know that if we don't, if we move them into permanent supportive housing, 96% uh, of the time in Utah, they, they stay in that housing. And uh, we have, I think, tw almost 2,700 people who are in chronic permanently supportive housing in Utah right now. There's estimated we need another maybe 600, 700 more units in, of that type of housing. Um, the thing is, is the people in that category, these are people who need a higher level of care than a homeless shelter can provide. Yeah. And if they're taking up beds in a shelter, they're, they're, it's, it's just not, they're, they're not gonna get better and, and uh, the system is gonna stay full because when you have 600 people who need a bed and a shelter every single night, that doesn't leave a lot of space for other people. No, it doesn't. And also we're what, 50,000 units behind in terms of overall units for, for housing in, in Utah and we still have people coming in. We've got investors and hedge funds buying up affordable housing stock, flipping it or renting it out at massive amounts. What is your fear if we don't start to get ahead of this? Well, um, <laughs> the, the, the other good news on the affordable housing front that happened during the session was that there was a bill sort of tweaking the state's homeless housing affordability policy and that bill gave, required cities to do some things. And you hear people in Park City complaining, oh my gosh, we're gonna have to let a thousand units of housing and some of it's gonna be affordable be built in Park City of all places. And I mean, that's unfair because Park City has done a lot to promote affordable housing. Um, and, and they have reasons for, but the policy they're complaining about is, is one that would also apply to West Jordan, to South Jordan, to places that haven't accepted any kind of affordable housing at all. Um, and cities are given options for promoting affordable housing that they haven't had before. They have tools that they can use. And so places like Salt Lake City that, that are interested in, in doing a better job in this area have, have some new tools that they'll be able to use. Um, and so hopefully, I mean, with, we, you know, here in, in Salt Lake City where we're, we're talking, there's uh, the city's in the process of doing a gentrification study, looking at people, how people are displaced. At people who are, are being priced out of not just the city but the county and so uh, you know we we as a community we as, as a county as a, as a state need to recognize that we're running out of places where affordable housing can be included and so yeah. every time we have a development that doesn't that isn't inclusive that doesn't include affordable units the, the, the places where it's gonna be possible to, to, to build those units in the future, there's, la there's one less opportunity, Yeah. right? We're, out, we're running out of land, we're, uh, there's <laughs> we're running out of opportunities. And so if we don't find a way to include everyone, eventually we're, we're not, we're, I don't know people, where, I mean, you look at 
Salt Lake City School District. They yeah. are, it is so expensive to live here that young families with kids are moving out and we're mm-hmm. having to close schools. Yep, and that's coming. That's coming. They put it off for a year, but it's coming, folks. All right, yeah. so another issue you can get involved with affordable housing with Crossroads Urban Center. What's the website one more time, Bill? www.crossroadsurbancenter.org. Happy to have you. We'll put that in the show notes. And anytime you need to amplify a message, we're here for you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And now we're going to finish the show off with a conversation I had with Dr. David Derizotis of Peace and Conflict Studies at the University of Utah. And we're talking about Ukraine again. This was recorded just late last week. Dr. David Derizotis, he of the Radical Middle and Peace and Conflict Studies Director at the University of Utah. Thanks for giving me some time when you told me you were preparing a community conversation, part of your ongoing series with Utah Humanities. About processing our feelings about Ukraine, I said, let's get him on because I think a lot of folks are struggling. I was looking at uh, social media, Dr. Dave. I was doom scrolling. And any complaint was met with Ukraine. So it's hard when something so momentous, so globally impactful happens um, to process our feelings, our mundane, trivial lives when... Two million plus folks have been displaced from Ukraine, half of them children. So we wanted to get a bit of a preview of how you're going to direct this conversation because your Zoom conversations are private affairs, so to speak. Everyone agrees to keep it among the folks who are there. That's correct. And as you know, Laura, I profess a complete obedience and reverence towards you. So when you asked me, I leaped at the opportunity to be able to talk about this. So you've been getting a lot, I'm hearing, from friends, family, students, coworkers. How do, how do we even deal with this? It's been 80 years. Yeah, 80 years absolutely... since World War II, right? I'm not as good at math as you are, but um, I'm sure you're right, Laura. It's been a long time anyway, hasn't it? Right? Yeah. Although, of course, it's not been a long time since we've had war, and we'll get into that in a minute. You know, there, there's been this ongoing civil war, so to speak, in Miramar, for example. But, you know, um, maybe we could talk about why that doesn't impact us the same way, because many more people have died in that conflict. Um, There's conflicts raging around the globe. Yes. 24-7. Yes. So there's something different about this, isn't there? Because perhaps the majority of white America sees themselves in the struggle. Yes, because there are people that look like the majority of us look. Yeah. Um, is probably a big reason. I think you're right. Yeah, and that doesn't mean it's bad to be concerned. It's just that we could expand our compassion, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah. I, there was a comment I saw Prince William of the House of Windsor make talking about um, the difference between between wars um, on the African continent and one in Europe because we just don't have those here, which is a bit tone deaf when it comes to the troubles in Ireland. And the history uh-huh. there. And I think that's part of it. When we try and talk about it, we may put a foot wrong. We may not express the appropriate public opinion. Um, and so how do you process? How do you lead folks through this? Uh, thanks. And uh, again, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this and hoping this might stir some interest in our program coming up, which we'll talk about. So can I start with Mr. Putin? Yes. Vladimir Putin, okay. president of Russia. Yes. So um, here's this elderly gentleman, and we, we're not sure how old he is exactly uh, from what I've read, but 
he's getting up there. And, um, you know, uh, I'm going to quote my favorite therapist. Uh, I've had many, Laura, and the one that helped me the most years ago, Jim, uh, you know, uh, he and I were talking once when, uh, remember when we first invaded, the U.S. invaded Iraq, and we we're trying to get rid of Saddam Hussein, right? Yes. And Jim said, you know, Saddam Hussein, if he was developmentally appropriate and plugged in, he'd be rowing a rowboat down the Euphrates River with his grandchildren, teaching them how to fish. Because that's what you ought to do when you're that age. And then Jim added, you know, what most of us do when we climb the ladder of success is we see people coming up from below and we kick them. You know, rather than, in other words, hang on to what power and whatever else we think we have as long as possible. You know, rather than getting off the ladder and helping them up. And it's sad but true, isn't it, that many of us still do that. So, you know, for starters, what if, you know, this is um, what many of us think might be kind of the beginning of the end of the patriarchy. You, you know, the whole song, maybe you'd like to sing it for us. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Remember that song? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, you know, if you study astrology at all, which I love because it gives us an, an entryway into topics we don't know how to talk about, you know, when we're just being all scientific, you know, and, and overeducated. But, um, you know, the, one of the main ideas is we're moving into this era where the patriarchy is uh, ending. And when I learned that, I thought that was, that made it even more cool because I always liked the song. But, you know, here's a, one of a number of patriarchs, don't you think, in our world, right? They're all over the place. Mm -hmm. And, patri you know, patriarch doesn't mean, you know, men um, helping community and co-leading is, is bad. It just means, you know, uh, oppressive leadership that um, discriminates, you know, and, and as we talked about, holds on to power too long. In the current right? cultural context, yes. Yes. So um, so that's one perspective is um, for all to see is here's this um, little old man who, um, and I'm one too, I'm a little old man, so it's not, I'm not being ageist, but there he is like me and uh, holding, clinging on to power and he has a lot. And we could say that power is addictive, Laura, because it it's like alcohol or drugs often are for us. It gives us a kick, but doesn't last very long. So you just go back for more and then more and then more, right? Because, you know, it's, it's something fun for a moment because the ego gets satisfied, right? I'm running. I'm not only running Russia, but I got everybody scared. Everybody's running for me. Um, so it's sad. And it also might be an eye opener because most of us really don't like that, whether it's in our families, right? Or our communities, or our radio stations or our universities or wherever we're talking about. Yeah. Well, according to the Oracle that is Google, Putin is 69 <laughs> years old. Our president oh. is older than that. Um, it's it's ah. interesting because uh, there's certain analysis that's talking about the last gasp of conservatism or uh, traditional American values and leadership, the argument between hard power and soft power. And, yeah. uh, you know, what I hear the common complaint is our gas prices are going up and can't Biden do something about that. Right. So processing our feelings while still having to pay and conduct our lives, right. it's a tricky subject. Yeah. And as you know, and we all know, you know, probably the era of gas fueled engines in our transportation units is on its way out. You know, it might last X number of decades. But, it, you know, we're not going to be doing that at, at a certain point, right? Mm -hmm. Probably 
after I'm no longer here on the planet breathing, you know, they'll be all gone, but they'll be gone. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a bummer, especially for those of us that don't have uh, very good incomes already anyway. So here we have another, here's another dimension of the whole thing, right, is um, disproportionate negative impact on people that are already poor or minoritized. Yeah, right? yeah. I read that folks who are driving, you know, Uber, DoorDash, et cetera, with the gas costs going up, they're making, yeah. in some instances, depending on where they live, less right. than minimum wage to stay in this gig economy that's supposed to empower the employee. Now, one of the ways in which Utahns are processing what's going on is by doing everything they can to help, by uh, donating money, donating goods, hosting charitable events and getting the money over to verified charities in Ukraine. I've even seen, and I'm sure you have, you know, globally folks booking Airbnbs in Ukraine that you couldn't possibly ever use just to enable fu funds to get to that part of the world and help folks whose yeah. worlds have been literally blown up. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's cool, and I like that too. I, I think I hear you saying you like that. I do. I like no. I, I like all yeah. of it. As we record this, there have been rallies to stand with Ukraine. I'm sure there'll be more. As we record this, uh, we're not sure where things stand by the time it airs right. on tonight's right. show. But um, having come through two years of a pandemic, the earthquake, right. the inland hurricane, and now you know, I used to do duck and cover drills in elementary school, and one of those fears is that Vladimir Putin, if he doesn't get what he wants, may use his nuclear arsenal. He's, he's said as much. Right. And that's a huge fear. That's a huge anxiety, I think, for folks, whether yeah. you're right in the field of battle or here in Utah. Yeah. I didn't know you were anywhere near as old as I am, but I remember when I was in grade school in Chicago, we'd have to get under the desks and practice a nuclear bomb attack and we all were you know even though we're in like fourth grade or something we we knew that that was futile right yeah <laughs> this is it's crazy and now today's kids in schools again another anxiety that i didn't have to deal with is run hide fight for school shooters the violence right. um decibel seems to be ratcheted up to 11 in our world right now dr dave yeah yeah it, it, it's interesting isn't it and we could kind of speculate on it how you know the threat of nuclear war you know hasn't been like on a, the front of our radar screens for a while you know it's been there's been other things that you know th that we're all talking about you know obvious one being pandemic and maybe climate change these days polarization you know um, um, murder of people of color by police all those kinds of things have been you know in our faces but now Putin's you know rattling his saber Right. And, you know, threatening, reminding us all that he has nuclear weapons. And, you know, I'm working on a project around that for something else. And I was looking at the, um, you know, the data from American scientists uh, on Google. And, you know, they're saying there, there's actually a few less warheads than there were in the 60s, for example. But there's more countries that have them and they're more powerful. So overall, we're even better or at blowing ourselves up with nuclear weapons, then it's probably not a bad thing for us to face the fact that they still exist. More countries have them. And, you know, advanced, more advanced technological countries like Soviet Union, now Russia, China, and the U.S., we have smaller nukes. So we can fit more on a missile, 
right? And so even though there's fewer warheads, they're, they're more dangerous. And I'm not, I'm not in the club that believes that we should try to completely protect our children from this because it's the truth. And I, I believe that if, I'm not saying we should be as scary as possible about it, but on the other hand, just pretending that it isn't a threat um, makes it ultimately, I think, more scary because, you know, when we don't talk about something, then our imaginations take hold because, you know, it's, most of us know that these kinds of weapons exist. So, yeah, there's that, there's that whole thing going on. And, um, um, and we could talk more about that, we, but we probably have more to talk about regarding Ukraine, right? Yes. So how do you have the conversation with kids, though, about what's going on in Ukraine after the two years of a pandemic where families have physically yeah. been closer than ever before due to quarantine yeah. and masking and the anxiety that that induced in kids? I mean, when, when this first started, like, oh, it'll just be a couple of weeks. We can handle this. We got it. Um, and then as the days and months and now years have ticked by, the level of anxiety that our children are going through with that, and now this situation. So in Ukraine, um, there is video all over the place about uh, children separated from their families, children actually killed right. uh, by Russian bombs that um, they're to be found to be streamed across. So what is your suggestion for parents uh, yeah. and aunts and uncles and cousins in talking about this. Yeah. That's the kind of question we ask so-called experts. Yeah, you're, the, you're my expert, Dr. Dave. <laughs> and I, I don't want to pretend to be... Peace and Conflict Studies Director. <laughs> I don't want to pretend to be an expert on, on this because I think every family can do it a little bit differently and that's good enough. To me, like, the most important thing is the idea of resiliency. You know, because as you know and I know, you, you can't grow up in this world without being traumatized. For one thing. And then second, obviously, there's some traumas that are arguably more intense, you know, that are really going to disturb us. And so many children have them, like, for example, sexual abuse by, you know, a, a family member so that there is betrayal as well as trauma that could be ongoing. And there's lots of evidence that that's really, really tough for people to grow up with and that it might even be the majority of us grow up with some kind of sexual trauma. Just to take one example, right, that happens actually within our own homes. But we also know that children are more resilient. And one of the main factors is, you know, having someone in their lives that loves them and sees them accurately, you know, loves them for who they are. I'm loved for who I am or, you know, growing up as a kid. And I, and I think that that's, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what you want to call it, a tether, a, a pillow, a parachute, you know, that, um, that can help me through anything. Um, and... You know, I don't want to diminish the suffering that we all have because it's, you know, I mean, who, you know, if we had our choice, of course, we don't want our children to be witnessing explosions and invasions or for that matter, like you mentioned earlier, people, um, you know, flipping out and shooting a bunch of folks here in the U.S., right? All those kinds of things, you know, who, and who's to say what's more traumatic? Um, but I think what we can do is, you know, talk about it, you know, in a truthful way. And, um, and let our children know that we love them and that we uh, believe that they're going to pull through this just like we did. Maybe we talk about the things that we went through, not like, you know, in the day when I was little, I had a walk to school after I shoveled, the dry, you know, yeah, not, not like comparing yeah. it like I suffered more, but just saying, you know, that we all go through trauma. And I have to say, I'm curious if you'd say the same thing, that the worst things I went through probably taught me the most 
you know, about myself. Mm. Um, not saying that, you know, we expect people to dance around the table if they have something awful that happened to them, you know. But in the larger perspective, um, aren't those difficult things really teachers? And if I hadn't had the things happen to me that happened to me, I probably wouldn't have been interested in being a social worker or a peace and conflict studies guy or, you know, um, working with people. I probably would have just been an engineer like every boy was supposed to be in, you know, 1969 when Sputnik went up and we were in high school, right? Yeah. Not that that would be terrible, but you get the idea, you know, so I'd say, um, you know, uh, you know, speak your truth the way that um, you would anything else. You don't have to exaggerate it or, you know, go overboard in the details and then, you know, talk about, um, you know, the, the awfulness and potential uh, benefits of, you know, in terms of growth and learning, because there is such a thing as post-traumatic growth. You know, um, there's a lot big literature on it, meaning that after any awful event, uh, growth can continue, you know, if you have a, a loving family and community. So let's let's co-create loving families and communities, right? Um, because we can't, we don't have a magic wand apparently to stop Putin right now. Yeah. Well, on Wednesday, March 16th, 6.30 to 8, my um, guest, Dr. David Derizotis of the Peace and Conflict Studies Program at the University of Utah will continue with his 2022 virtual community conversation series in conjunction or collaboration, rather, with Utah Humanities. And it's going to be about processing our feelings over Ukraine. So, Dr. Dr. Dave, one of the things you post in your flyer about this is you pose the question, how do we react psychologically to what's going on in Ukraine? And I know the videos, I, you know, unless I have to talk about it on the show, I put off as long as possible some of the coverage because it is pretty graphic. Yep. But at the same time, we've been trying to say never forget since World yeah. War II. Right. And um, I th think in some part we are where we are because we have. Because we've had 80 years of quote-unquote peace. I qualify that, that that's not been, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> peace, peace, peace. There has been much conflict over those 80 years. But I yeah. feel like there's a generation that's about to go out of power, a generation coming in that doesn't have firsthand knowledge of it. And yeah. that also is shaping us psychologically. Yeah. Yeah. Well... I think there's so many different things we can do. And, you know, it's probably varies for each of us what's most helpful. You know, the, I mean, if history teaches us anything, you know, it's likely that, for example, if we're living in Ukraine, whether we're children or adults, you know, we're going to have uh, some things that we now call PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder stuff, you know, and, the, and those vary from person to person what the symptoms are. As, as well as and often related to, you know, anxiety. We all know what that is, you know, worrying about the future for obvious reasons because, you know, it's been difficult, as well as what we call depression. You know, the World Health Organization keeps calling depression year after year these days, you know, the number one health problem in the world. That's not going away anytime soon, you know, with what's going on on the planet, not just Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, you know, but also... Um, as you know, climate change. and uh, It seems like all these things, I was trying to figure out a way to say them all with the letter P, 
you know, pandemic, protests, pandemonium, pyro, planet, that's for climate change. But I couldn't come up with peace or some of the other ones. But you're pretty creative. Maybe you could do that. <laughs> it's a way to just remember how many, how many ways we can be miserable right now, you know, with things that are really large. But on the other hand, Laura, you know, isn't it an opportunity to just have right in our face so we can't ignore it, uh, how important it is to cooperate? You know, and um, I was just reading this book. Um, darn, I should have saved the title. But it's about uh, human beings walking upright. And the, the thesis of the book is that uh, that's associated with the, the most redeeming qualities of humans, which is that we are altruistic. And the scientist says that basically what happened is our ability you know, to walk upright is pretty unique in the animal, animal kingdom, but we walk really slowly. So we're this sort of like, you know, um, slow walking, brilliant apes who are really vulnerable to being eaten by whatever eats animals like us. And, you know, so uh, he talked about how many times um, paleontologists, anthropologists have found evidence that humans went to bat for each other. Like if, you know, someone was clawed by a cheetah, I guess they ate us in Africa a long time ago. Um, sometimes people would live and they could tell because the bone grew back. They, you know, and they couldn't have survived that attack because they go for our heads, right? Um, unless other people help them. You know, and, and over and over again, you know, if you look at ancient civilizations, we see evidence of that, you know, of, of human beings helping other human beings, which we can do because we're upright. So I kind of like that idea of that, um, you know, that underlying all the horrors that we create and the stupid things we do, we also do have altruism, you know, compassion for each other and the ability to cooperate, you know, and maybe we could expand that not just to our little in-group, you know, um, you know, like say our, my little KRCL family, but I could even help people at other TV and radio stations and maybe people that don't even watch, you know, mass media, you, you know what I mean? Using that yeah. as an analogy. Like what if the whole human race was, um, it's possible, don't you think? It's possible that we could eventually view that uh, each other that way, the whole human race, especially when the planet looks really teeny when we first visit Mars, you know, and there's this little tiny blue dot, right? Maybe. Cooperation I think it's and compassion as a baseline of behavior. Well, yeah, and that we, what about doing that with our kids, you know, when they witness tough situations or are victims of trauma, you know, trauma-inducing situations that we, we talk about the importance of, um, you know, we over... Not, not just I, you know, because we're so, aren't we pretty individualistic here, you know, in the U.S. and especially in the U.S. West? And, you know, so um, it's probably our strength in some way that, you know, we really respect individualism, but it's also a weakness or limitation because it makes, I mean, we can, it's, that's in our face now, right, with political polarization about everything, you know, so could we uh, see beyond that? I think, yes, we have the capacity for that. And I think we could uh, teach that and mod even more important, model that for our children. Boy, that would go a long way, you know, um, uh, because this war didn't have to happen, right? You know, it, I mean, I, don't, I doubt that Russia's going to get that much out of it, except a bunch of hatred. Putin's not going to live forever, and he's not going to be a good guy in the history books unless he wants to be a bad guy. That can't make him happy. He probably would like to be viewed as, you know, a great emperor of an um, empire, from what we read about him, right? Um, 
but what a cool thing it would be if we we could certainly figure out a way to guarantee you know peace in that region i mean there's a lot of issues that are in the past that need to be discussed but you know the truth and reconciliation model that you know was used in south africa seemed to help wasn't perfect but you know telling the truth here's what happened right let's not pretend it's not an invasion and let's not pretend that russia hasn't been invaded it has a number of times and they lost a lot of people and we can get why they're scared but you know eastern europe as has, as like you were saying it's not exactly been a peaceful place either you know, it's, it's good reason for them all to be scared. But, you know, don't we all know that when we operate out of fear instead of love, um, that's when we tend to do crazy things. Like when I'm scared, I'm more likely to, I, I'm most likely to be a jerk. How's that? You know, yeah. when I'm scared to, to say, you know, like if I'm driving in traffic and somebody almost kills us, then, you know, that that's when, that's when I'm going, idiot, right? Because, you know, it's it scares me. That's not an excuse. It's just understanding that, things that I do out of fear don't tend to have good outcomes, you know? So, you know, what if, what if, um, here's another plug too. What if we have a department of peace in, in the U S government? Cause you know, there's been people calling for that for years and it hasn't made much progress. We have a department of war, of course, you know, but imagine, imagine, um, uh, let's together, maybe a department of peace whose sole, <laughs> you know, purpose we could even give them a budget. You could ask, well, what's a budget for? But what if, for example, we created a network of dialogues for high school kids where using modern technology, there's instantaneous translation. And, you know, and for their classes, you know, every day they talk to a group of people in some other country, you know, through this quick uh, translation uh, through machines, you know, and uh, talk about stuff like this. Like, what's that like to live in, fill in the blank, Iran, Russia, <clears throat> Ukraine, right, um, Miramar, you know, um, how do you feel about this, how do you feel about that? Um, you know, make high school relevant in that way, because, you know, these things, we know, you know, young people are affected by um, all these global survival threats, <clears throat> and they often feel powerless, you know, and, and that feeling of powerlessness it, you know, is, can be really destructive. Like I can't do anything about my world and they could, we, let's give them opportunities to, you know, um, to, you know, to engage. So I'm big on dialogue and that's one of the reasons I like doing these things. Like, you know, we were talking about the conversation coming up next week is one, you know, where we'll, we'll, and dialogue involves maybe two things more than anything else, listening for understanding and speaking respectfully. So your conversation, your community conversation on processing our feelings on Ukraine is coming up Wednesday. That's this Wednesday, March 16th. And we'll put a link in the show notes to sign up for this Zoom session. It doesn't cost you anything. Just need to reserve your seat in the Zoom room. Dr. Dave, what's on tap for April? Well, we have, we usually do one of these a month in Utah Humanities. So we already have one later in March. So it's like a double bonus this month. And we've been planning this for, for a while, so we didn't want to cancel it. And that's on, you ready? Grab your chair. Okay. UFOs and intelligent life off the planet. Wow. So we have two really interesting experts coming on that we'll interview, and then we'll have a conversation. One is uh, one of the leaders of MUFON. That's the national organization that investigates UFOs. It's a private organ. And then the other one is uh, this man I really like who's an astronomy professor at the U 
And so we'll have fun. We'll see what if they agree or disagree, you know, as we talk about like, what are all these? Because haven't you noticed lately there's a lot more talk about UFOs again? Oh, yeah. So is that because we're hopeful a, that there might be somebody smarter than us out there, given what we're doing on this planet. Right. That's possibility A, is that we just are imagining that up because we need some gods and goddesses, some new ones. Possibility B is they're, they're worried about us, so they're coming down to visit. Possibility C, they're going to invade or something awful. D, other, or, or E, they're coming down to meet with you, Laura. There we as go. A You're as come a representative, on the show. KRCL <laughs> will now interview the first alien <laughs> from another star system. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, Dr. Dave. I always enjoy talking to you. And also, you help me process my feelings. Find a positive way to talk about it. And then, of course, you can take action, folks, in the community. There's tons of ways. You can go to the Connect page of krcl.org for some ideas with the Utah Ukrainian Association when it comes to that topic. Thanks, Dr. Thank Dave. Laura, thanks. And just a quick plug again that if you want to you know, uh, get, uh, visit any of our Utah Mandy's programs, just go to the website, too. And you can just um, uh, uh, sign up that way. What's no cost. What's the website? Uh, just go to uh, just Google Utah Humanities. Dr. David Derizotis of the Peace and Conflict Studies Program at the University of Utah. Thank you so much, Dr. Dave. Links in the show notes tonight on the Connect page at krcl.org and those things you can do to act locally on what you're seeing globally with the Utah Ukrainian Association. Lots of ideas waiting for you. I'm Laura Jones. Questions, comments, suggestions, email radioactive at krcl.org. Have a great night, and thanks for plugging into your community with Radioactive only on KRCL. KRCL 90.9 FM HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org.